Welcome to another episode of Inside with Outsiders. My name is Jeremy Iscari, and today we have a special guest, a good friend of mine. He's a life performance optimizer. I really hope I got that right. His name is Garnett Strother. Welcome. Wow, you did that really well. Did I? Yeah. I appreciate it. I've had some practice. Sorry for moving the chair, Bams. He yells at me when I do that. Don't do that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you actually are a very interesting friend of mine. Thanks. Um, you've had a lot of ups and downs, like many of us, but I feel like you've accomplished a whole lot with, you know, what was getting, given to you. And not to make it sound too cliche, but you really made something out of nothing. Um, I mean, not nothing entirely, but I'm saying like you. Oh, no, it was nothing. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me give a little heads up about Garnett. He's also a mixed martial arts fighter, right? I, I am. So um, when he doesn't laugh, I get a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, um, uh, visually speaking, I look like an '80s villain, but like I, you know me, I'm not. No, like I'm just like I'm the warmest guy that I know of. But like I don't. You I hang don't, out with fighters. Yeah, but they're like the sweetest people. <laughs> I know. I'm just. I'm just. Uh, you know, I don't know what it, like because I don't associate fighting with um, anger. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It's not an angry profession. You can't be angry and get in there. You got to be focused. And I don't think that. You know that aggression, that that part that you have to tap into when you're, when you have to perform, is the same thing that Michael Jordan has to tap into. Same thing that Kobe had to tap into. Right. You got to have that killer instinct, and that has nothing to do with like this fight or flight response that most people kind of associate. That's with. interesting because most people, when they're fighting, mm -hmm. is because of anger or right, self-defense right. or whatever it be. But when it's a sport, it's a totally different dynamic. No, right? no, you want to kind of. Uh, you want to kind of be in a dance, like this, this flow state where you're receiving new information right. from your opponent or your dance partner and using it to your advantage. Because he's giving you all these nonverbal cues and uh, this communication is happening that's, that's within a fight, you know? And that's what I love the most. I love that part. I want to crush the person that's in front of me psychologically by reading what they're giving me. I want to en envelop their mind with so much chaos that they right. don't know what's happening. And that's how you win. It's not about so when they this. So when they say it's a chess game, in fact, that's what you want to be a few steps ahead, right? You want to I mean, be 17. You want to be so, you, the fight starts at the weigh-ins. Like it doesn't even start. Really? Yeah, yeah. I know we don't usually jump in right away into what you're doing, but this is an interesting <laughs> conversation. Mm -hmm. How does, how, where does it start in the weigh-in? How do you start the mental, the mental game then? Well, you, walk, you watch guys like Conor McGregor and they're, they're very, you know, they start talking shit on Twitter now. You know, when you're a, a professional fighter, you have footage of you, so you can really study your opponent's mannerisms. You're not, you're not stuttering their, you're not studying their basic, their like basic striking necessarily, because we all have two hands and two legs. There's right. nothing different that's gonna happen, <laughs> right. right? But what is different is their mannerisms. When they hit you, how do they respond? Are they congratulating themselves by wiping their nose? Right? That's a uh, congratulatory move. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. When someone just like, you hit them and they're like, okay, I got this motherfucker. You, you want to watch and pay attention to I that. Like, I thought their nose was running. Like, nah, from man. like, I'm not making a joke. Like, I just, I think like, you know, when you're, I, I didn't realize. Yeah, man. There's always nonverbal cues that happens of, of like, you know, like, uh, my favorite is the single arm shrug. When someone tells you, hey, man, you had a, did you like the movie? And you're like, yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> that is, is indicative of someone that's, obviously not congruent. They're not telling the whole truth here. They want to tell you what they think is, is true. And sometimes that happens with fighting too. They get hit and then they want to act like it didn't hurt. 
they'll just kind of go, you know. Yeah. Like, oh. Let me ask you, you took a course on um, t a technique on communication, right? What was that called? It was called uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming, NLP. Yeah. And, and how helpful and beneficial has that been in the ring? Uh, it's been game changing. Because it's, it's not just verbal communication, but it's overall body language and so on. It's right? everything. It's literally how we map our reality in our mind. It's how you see things. When you use, when you see someone that uses their hands, you right. know, you're Persian, you've been, or you're, you're Italian, or yeah, yeah. Puerto Rican. When someone says like, "Oh my God, you gotta see this movie. It's incredible." The people over here, they look great. The people over, they're marking their reality. This is how they see their reality in their brain. They're telling right. you with their hands. So it's literally like the heads-up display in like Iron Man. Take that for example. Like that's yeah. where they place their information in their brain. It's the study of all that. And, you know, just more subtle stuff of how to influence people to uh, listen to you by speaking their language. So right. it all starts with listening, listening right. to other people. Okay, well, I want to get more into this. Sorry, I keep smacking this thing out of the wing chun on the fucking Yeah, the don't microphone. be violent with the mic, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I do want to get back into this. This is really interesting to me. And, and I, want to, I want to know about what, you, what your goals were learning this and getting this certification and what you plan on doing in general moving forward. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back into your, your history. Okay, cool. Uh, if you're cool with that. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from an LES, baby. Let's go. Lower East Side all day. The sixth borough. Not Jersey City. I know y'all like to say that. I know y'all like to say that, but it's really the Lower East Side. Yes, I know. No, that's recently. I just, I, 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 right? keep, I get hurt. There's a real estate company in Jersey City called the sixth borough. There. What? I don't agree with it. Y'all better holler at me. You understand? <laughs> well, wait, well, why do you why do you call why do you call LES six boroughs? We've been the six, in a borough. We've been the six borough. Why is Harlem Harlem? It's not Manhattan, even right. though it is. LES is, is LES awesome. is LES. You yeah. got Basquiat. You got uh, uh, Rosario Dawson. John Leguizamo likes hanging out there. Yeah. He kind of claimed that place. Uh, you got your World War. <laughs> you got you know Andy Warhol. You got Fab Five Freddy. That was like. CBGBs and and like the well, LES is definitely the heart of a lot of yeah. uh, the start of a lot of cultures. Yeah, I mean punk, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about hardcore. ska, which is punk, or whatever. Hardcore, punk, hip hop, um, all the galleries that these people went to were no hip hop. I would say was the Bronx, though. Absolutely, hip hop definitely started yeah. at, at, at Cedar Avenue, right? But the when it was discovered by MTV and made a global thing. Yeah. It was because of Fab Five Freddy hanging out with like Madonna yeah. and like all, and that happened. Blondie, Blondie, uh, whatever, um, uh, Debbie, Debbie Harry. Harry. Yeah, all that stuff happened in Lower East Side. Yeah. There's galleries that that took place out there. That all these parties that happened out there that happened in LES. So it was like this like convergence of like of hip hop and rock and roll, which is like the epitome of, right. the, of what I am. It's like right, yeah. it's, all, it's like it makes sense when you you look at me. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy's from the Lower East Side. Yeah, it's funny because everyone reps their borough hard. Everyone shouts yeah. out, you know, Brooklyn, hard, whatever. Not, not even the borough, their, their neighborhood. Yeah. But LES, man, everyone from LES really reps. Like Pat, we had Pat on. He was the first interview we, interview mm, we had Really? The show. Okay. And he had a, sh he had a, a hat that said Pitt Street. Yeah, I'm from, Pitt, I'm from Pitt Street. There you go. That's that, crazy. That's second at Pitt Street. That's rest. wild. Yeah. I'm from Granite Pit. But he, was, he, he, was, he grew, grew up in, uh, on Pitt Street in like the late 70s. Uh, or the 70s, early 80s. Yeah, that is, was yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> different I, mean, I mean, not to say that when you grew up in the late 80s, right? Early 90s, it yeah. wasn't that much different. I mean, no. it was different, but it wasn't, it wasn't what it is now by any means. Well, he, well I, was the, I had to deal with the aftermath of his generation. His generation was all gangs. Yeah. was all like horror, like straight horror show. It was dope. 
it was it was like pimps and like crazy shit. I had to go to school with all like the crack babies that oh, wow. were yeah like the the aftermath of all that because they at least they had like the arts at in the seventies. There were so many like the, the Puerto Rican and Dominican influence back then was so prevalent that they had all these like free art programs that taught them how to you know do play the guitar, the piano, sing, right. dance. By the time I came up, crack killed all of that shit. It was like it's not safe to be outside really, but we're going to try and make it work. And a lot of programs got taken away and shut down during the Clinton administration and the Bush administration. So a lot of that stuff got killed. So there was really nowhere to go. So we had these zombies out in the street and that's how I discovered hardcore and like punk and, yeah. and, and rap is because yeah. I was in the street and I was on St. Mark's hanging out playing third strike, you know, playing street fighter, right. you know, and then is that, I mean, I was gonna say, what was like growing up in that era in LES? But what'd you do to stay out of trouble? Were you getting in trouble? I was definitely getting in trouble. I was fighting a lot. I, yeah. I got a lot of fights. That's why. I, but also, martial arts was everywhere. Like, oh, the '80s. Oh my oh, god. Course. Yeah, I man. mean, people walk down the street with nunchucks. Like, yeah. like it was like, it was nothing. <laughs> like it was, you know, part of the outfit. It yeah. matched the outfit with the nunchucks back in the day. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a, it was a different vibe. It was literally like the last dragon. Yeah, I was just saying last it dragon. Literally, exactly. it was literally like that. Like you watch a movie, everyone's watching a kung fu movie, motherfuckers talking. And shout then, out to Time Mac, by the way. Shout out to Time shout Mac. Out, shout, time Mac to hang out with us. He should. He should. I, mean, I don't know if he. He actually, Time Mac's really good friends of my my instructor. Who get, I got my black belt from. Okay. Were, yeah. So it's a small world. Lower East Side, Time Mac. Yeah. Uh, um, his 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 what's his coach's name? Oh my God. Was he smelly ass? No, but his coach is from the is from the Lower East Side. He okay. used to live there for a very long time. Ron Van Cleef. Okay. Chinese Goju. That's his coach is is Ron Van Cleef. Ron Van Cleef basically put you know black martial artists on the map. Like he was like the first generation of like like Moses Powell. Like he was like the first black people to get their hands on martial arts. But how did he get involved in it? They got they went to the military. You know, uh, most people that learn karate remember karate came here first in like the 60s during like in like the 40s like people came with the world war ii yeah right four against japan some people were stationed out there and then they learned karate and judo that's it that's that's all the martial arts that's here yeah then bruce lee came over in the 60s and 70s and 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 kind of uh introduced the world to kung fu you're like what the fuck is kung fu yeah bruce was bruce brought that over here and then june reed bruce's homie Brought Taekwondo over here. But what what exactly got you into it? And what did you get into first? Gang violence, mostly. No, but I, but I know, obviously, you're, you said you were fighting growing up a lot. Yeah. But like, when did you actually step into a dojo and learn was, the arts? I was seven years old, and I walked into Pitt Street, Hamilton Fish on Pitt Street. Yeah. There's a guy teaching free karate. And uh, Did you was, walk up on your own, or did your parents put you in there? I asked. I was like, yo, you want to take karate? I was like, hell yeah, I want to learn some karate. Yeah, the, the guy asked you? No, my mom was like, you want to, like, you, you beating up your little brother and shit. You got you to gotta take that out somewhere else. So I went to go. I went there. I loved it. Um, I, don't, I just think my mom was just so busy. She just couldn't be consistent with it. I rediscovered it again when I was about 11 years old. I, and I just decided to teach myself, actually. I just read everything I could on it in Barnes & Noble. I spent eight hours a day in Barnes & Noble. Really? Just reading. Yeah, just reading philosophy. Uh, physiology um, and psychology books when I was like 11 and until I was about 19. Were you a good student in school? Hell no. <laughs> no. no, the reason I ask is because they, they, they no. think you were a problem child, like you weren't going to... Oh, yeah. I can kind of relate to that in the sense where 
I wasn't great at school until, until obviously not until I started taking courses that I enjoyed. Correct. Before right. that, my parents were worried about me. Right. Yeah. Because I was terrible in school. But right. if, you know, there's things that were passionate. I was passionate about like basketball. Mm -hmm. That I would like practice one little move for like two hours, three Same. hours. Yeah. And and it's funny that uh, I'm not sure if you experienced the 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 worry of maybe being a problem child or bad at school or worried about what you can do in, in your life. Oh yeah, I was the one that was going to jail. For sure. <laughs> my mom always brags that like, you know, because one of, out of every three black men are in prison. Mm -hmm. She's like, I had exactly three boys and none of them ended up in prison. So, so you were the one that she thought oh, was in prison. Oh, yeah. Everyone thought. I had a kid at 17 also. We can get yeah. into that. I had, my, I had my daughter when I was 17. And they were like, oh, we've seen this story before. Yeah. What's your daughter's name? Uh, Elizabeth. Liz. I think she's Liz. going by Str yeah. we call Her middle name is Aries. So I think it's Aries Strother. Okay. She's going by that. Okay. Um, she uses uh, all the pronouns, I think. She's also queer. She says they, them. Yeah. He, she. So, whatever. She's like, whatever, dude. You know. And your, your daughter's really cool. First off, she's fortunate to have a really cool, understanding father. Thanks. Like, yeah, like, the fact that you had a kid at 17 years old, but you, you know, you've taken the role uh, of her primary caretaker, right? Yeah. About and, 12 years now, I've been uh, taking care of full time. And she's 17? She's going to be 20. She'll be 20. Wow. She's going to be 20 in uh, February. And you had a, you were at a kid at 17. That's I had a kid had at 17. 17. Okay. So, yeah, that was difficult because uh, I had to drop out of high school. She was born five months after 9-11, so there were no jobs. Oh, wow. You know, there were not, there was no opportunities for me to really, like, come up because all the hustling shit was dead. You know, yeah. Giuliani killed that shit. He yeah. was just like, nah, y'all. We were putting surveillance everywhere. So my family kind of moved out. I had a really big family, but everyone moved to Florida. And we really had to fend for ourselves. Were your parents together? No, my parents split up when I was two. I never had a great relationship. I didn't have a great relationship until about maybe five, six years ago. With who? Any of them. Any, okay. So it was just me. But who'd you live with growing up? My grandmother. My okay. grandmother's apartment was like, she called it the do drop in because everybody from the street would just come in. They, they, were, hiding from the, they were hiding from the cops. Yeah. You came to 4B. If really? you, oh, yeah. I so slept, what kind of characters did you... Did you encounter as a child growing up in your grandmother's murderers family. drug dealers pimps just like casual it's like i'm a casual i don't know how <laughs> casual that is <laughs> ca like casual like my first arrest i've ever seen was in my living room with my cousin ryan shout out to my cousin ryan he's the most gangster nigga i've ever seen in my life <laughs> that nigga he I, he's on a, he's on a run he's just always on a run maybe i shouldn't be talking about ryan <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, that, that nigga, we heard he's about always, your gangster cousin Ronnie. <laughs> Ryan is a fucking gangster. Like all my cousins, are, like every other cousin is a career criminal. I shouldn't be saying that either. <laughs> but it's true. They so, what do you attribute the like? What do you should be your your lifestyle of being on the straight and narrow to? I barely made it, dog. Like if it wasn't for karate. No, I say no rappers be like, yo, if I was if it wasn't for this rap shit, yeah. yo, I'll be in your house, Robbie. <laughs> it, that's how I feel about martial arts. Really? It just it's just like an anime. Anime just like completely I needed something to cling to that was uh inspiring. So like Spider-Man, you know, I I just resonated with that shit. I didn't mm -hmm. have a male role model that wasn't hustling or doing something crazy. But my cousins kind of held me down too, but it was like fictional characters. It was like Goku. Like, I did my first, I started working out because I was watching Dragon Ball Z and I was like, oh, this <laughs> motherfucker training like 100 times Earth's gravity? Yeah. I'm on regular Earth gravity. How many push ups can I do? Right. And I just started pushing myself. And, you know, I, I had a history of really bad illness 
And I was in at some you point. Do. Yeah, absolutely. At some point, I was in a wheelchair. My mom would. Wait, what? Me. I didn't know this about you. I, you know what I love about these interviews <laughs> is I get to know. I learn things about friends of mine. I've known you how long? At least ten years now. Eleven years. Eleven years. Eleven years and now. I had no idea you had illness. To me, I thought you were like this guy's like the perfect physical specimen. He's always in shape. I, I'm trying to keep up with him. Nah, man. You you're in a spectacular shape, my friend. Um, I think yeah, man. So I had really bad asthma, and the living conditions that I was in was like just filthy, you mm -hmm. know, like it was just, you know, whoever decided to come in, came in and ruined the house. And it was just really hard for me to breathe. And sometimes my, my asthma would turn into viral pneumonia, which is very similar to the symptoms of COVID. Mm. Like basically your lungs get taken over and they don't know if you're going to live or die. You're I mean, I was on like all kinds of respirators and, and you know. How old are you then? From like the ages of like six to like ten, maybe I was probably in and out of the so hospital. Like, were you like a, a? It seems like you were a frail child. Yeah, I was extremely frail. So my, my and my cousins were all like six four, two hundred fifty pounds, right. like giant. I'm still the smallest person in my family. Really, and you're six two, right? I'm six two, yeah. two hundred pounds, and yeah. I'm still <laughs> the smallest person in my family. My little yeah. brother is bigger than me. Uh, I mean, you're at least you're six two. At least I'm six two. Yeah. yeah, he's an awesome dude too. Shout out to Blake. That's my dude right there. Um, so when did so did karate also help you well, with your physical ailments? I think the psychological aspect of me pursuing knowledge on my own yeah. helped me recalibrate what I what I believed was possible for myself. Because Bruce, you know, Bruce Lee was, you know, he had the same issues I had. You know, he got kicked out of his house, he got into fights all the time, he had to leave, and then he had to come to America, and then America didn't fuck with him like that, so he went back to China, and then like when he went to China, then America started fucking with him again, and then he, right. he dies. Right. You know, so I'm just like, okay, well, I just emulated everything that he did. I literally wrote down his regimen and did that every day. Really? Yeah, I just that's all so I did. So what was that regimen? How old were you then? I was about, I had Liz at 17, so I, I was probably maybe like, you know, 13, 13 years old when I started like, experimented martial arts because all my friends were into martial arts and like anime and like video yeah. games and they would like fuck around in the park and like you know just like imitate people yeah so i got like real i got i took it really serious like i was not playing i was like training and not telling them and like so you're kind of like yeah now i'm envisioning exactly bruce leroy walking around with that yes. hat on walk, and like, that's now now i'm now i have no, to right now you're wearing the hat but I'm saying, <laughs> like, he I was am. kind of a nerd in the movie right yeah 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 i mean at the end he became the cool guy because he was able to fight he made something right. for himself he got the girl he got the girl yeah. but like yeah it was i was scrawny nerdy just like you know it wasn't cool to be in an anime and be black like afropunk did not exist yet like you know what i'm saying like i was at the first afropunk in cbgb's that shit was like was like, oh my that god was CBGB's it was at cbgb's because it was a they had like a, a movie first mm. then they had the festival but the festival came like a decade or so later and i remember being at the first afropunk it was the most amazing feeling to be around people that like did martial arts and or like was into alternative music and it was all black and Latino and like, uh, and like Asian bands, like just it was just people of color and like it was incredible. It was the last show I think I went to. Was that the CBGB's. first time you felt like you uh, you you found a culture that you fit into? I mean, I felt like I was. It's the first time I ever felt like because they were they weren't all looking for a culture. They were they were used to being the only one. Wherever they were, they right. were the last dragon wherever right. they were at, right? <laughs> yeah. So all these last dragons showed up and was like, "Yo, real recognize real." I I still this day I get goosebumps thinking about it. I, to this day I've never felt the camaraderie of like 
just alpha positive energy. It was, and it was all like, you know, queer people were there and no one had any, there was no homophobia. There was no, you know, and it was like, like masculine dudes there. And they were like, yo, if you say any shit about gay people, we'll fuck you up. And it was like mm. that kind of energy always. I've always had that kind of energy, yeah. you know? So I just had that, you know, e I just prioritized equality and um, openness and, you know, all my life. So I, I was just lucky to be around that energy, yeah. you know? You know, so it was just, that's just who so I am. when was this, when was the uh, CBGB's first Afro? Uh, Afropunk Afro was like, I would say 2009, maybe. Oh, that was the first one then? I thought, uh, CBGB's, when they closed? I thought it closed before that. No, no, no. I think, I don't, I must have been like 20 years old. Yeah. So it must have been like 2004, 2005. Yeah. It was a long time ago, like 15 years ago. It was probably a few years before I met you. Yeah. yeah. I met you like a 2010, 2011. Yeah. I remember when I met you. I know me too. I was like, this fucking promoter, like this fucking piece of shit. <laughs> fucking that's not what promoter. That's, that's not what you That's said. not what I said, but that's what I was thinking. I was like, it's really? fucking, yeah, I hate promoters. Oh, and then, so do I. I, yeah, I mean, you were the yeah. second person <laughs> to say that to him. Uh, yeah, like, because like, <laughs> fuck promoters. But then I realized being wrong. 10 years, exactly, but 10 years in the game of like hanging out, going to parties. Now I'm hanging out with clients and they're taking me other places and shit. And I see their promoters. They have like a bunch of sub promoters and shit. Yeah. And seeing how they move compared yeah. to what Jeremy does. Damn. Jeremy's a fucking angel. <laughs> 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 He's an angel compared to what I saw in the griminess and the just like, you know. Well, I, for me, I, it was wild. It, it was, was definitely, wild. I definitely approached it as a full-on business. Like, you did. I, legitimize, like, legitimately, I never... I never did drugs. I barely ever nope. drank. Nope. Um, never seen you ever. You had to drive home. I didn't have to. I wanted to. You wanted to. You wanted to drive home. <laughs> I wanted to get home. You had two drinks. It was that. Now was it? Yeah. You never if were like that. this creepy motherfucker. Yeah. You never was like creeping on girls. You never were like, you know, like these promoters are just grimy, yeah. like dirty ass people. And Jeremy is the most one of the most upstanding men I've ever met. I like hands, like hands down. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, he brings his parents to the party sometimes. Like, his dad shows up to the party. You know what I'm saying? Like, his mom shows up. We all know his, his like, his whole family. Like, it's such a, a like, it's so rare. Jeremy's so rare. that. Well, I, I brought up when I first met you because, not to talk about me because it's interview interviewing you. But I was a little that. wild. But, but no, yeah. actually, no, you, I kind of felt like, you know, you were a good dude, but I felt like you were kind of trying to find something yeah you were you weren't you weren't the person i know now no no you I weren't was... even wearing the stuff that i feel like like what you're wearing now i feel like is an expression of how you feel which is what what people do when they wear clothes they want mm -hmm. you wore stuff that you kind of hoping to fit in yeah especially when i met brian brian yeah. shout out to brian winston it's gonna be a lot of shout outs brian winston is gonna be interviewing with us as well oh he's, he, he's supposed to be on my my podcast as well the independent trainer podcast as well. Shout out, where can people find that? Uh, Spotify, YouTube. Okay. You is know? it, uh, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so Brian Brian is how I know you, is how I know yeah. Jeremy, and how I know a lot of people, actually. Um, he's the great conduit, he's the plug uh, back then. But um, I think at that time, I just had a huge fire in my home, and I was homeless, and uh, my grandmother just passed away, so I was kind of in a place where you know, I was in a transition where I didn't have a lot of people around me to be that were kind. And Brian Winston was the first person to actually show me like true kindness as a as a man, as a male mm. friend. Because Brian's seven years older than me. Yeah. And 
he was like an older, like I don't know, like an older brother, but like just like in some ways he is, in some ways I help him out in some places. But he really put me on to like he's like yo man he's the first person to be like yo you want to come to my house and watch the game and I was like why <laughs> <laughs> I was like why he's like because like you know like you cool like I, I fuck with you it's like, funny because a lot you know? of a lot of um, I say men get I wonder why another man might be nice to him right so I remember I remember one time uh, shout out to Adil I haven't spoken to this dude in forever but he's a friend of mine a friend of shoes I, I know I know him through shoe. And this is when I was still promoting parties, and I'm opening the door, marquee to exit. Okay. And I hear, I hear a thump, and I look behind, and I see this dude like this. <laughs> and I'm like, "Yo, you okay? You okay?" He's like, yeah, I'm fine. So I go outside, and I come back in, and at, when I see him as I walk back in, he's like dripping blood. Oh no! Right? So I'm like, oh, I'm so, sorry. I feel terrible. Yeah. So sorry, man. You exchange info. The next day, I hit him up. Yo, are you okay, man? I'm so sorry. Like, anything I could do. Mm-hmm. I got a text from Shu laughing. I'm like, what's up, Shu? Because I texted Adil. Right. He texted, Adil texted Shu, say, yo, your boy Jeremy's real cool, but what's up? Is he gay? Why is he asking me, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, no, cool. man, I'm not gay. Can I just ask if you're okay? Because I busted your head open with the door, but you know, next time I'm going to hit you with the door. <laughs> how about that? Yeah, how about that? How about that? Yeah, Mel, being, you know, it was a different time back then, too. Like, I didn't fucking trust anybody. You're a wonderful person, and you always follow through and actually genuinely care about people, and I always appreciated that. Um, I think, uh, you know, I was going through so much. I think around that time, I, you know, the fire, my grandmother dying, I just got custody of my daughter. Oh, wow. So you, you got custody of your daughter when you were homeless? Yeah, around time? that time. They were rebuilding the house. So what did you say? I, they gave us, like, a one-bedroom apartment. So it was me, my brother, my daughter in a one-bedroom apartment that they, were, they had already renovated. Yeah. And then uh, same building that you're in. Same building, oh, yeah. but like you know, this, it was tight. Mm-hmm. And and what were you doing for work at that time? I was I was consolidating my personal training business. I was doing security. I was so I was in nightlife, but I was slowly trying to get out of that. I was teaching karate on the side. I was uh, doing bodyguard work on the side. Um, so I had like four. I had four jobs, mom. I yeah, had, yeah. had all these like <laughs> <laughs> I had I do whatever I had to do to make some cash. So. It was, uh, you know, it was, t- it was, it was a tough time, but I was young, so I had the energy to do it. But after that, I, I, I was like, you know what? I, I, training is what I always want to do. It's the only thing I ever wanted to do in my life was to train people. Well, you, when I introduced you, I asked you how you want to be introduced, and you to- I forgot the term. Oh, it's a, a life a performance uh, optimization. So that's obviously more than a personal trainer. What is it you do, and what makes it different from a personal trainer, a life coach, all that stuff? It's a combination of those elements. It's because I realize in New York, people's their expectations for themselves are indicative of their perception of what they can accomplish, right? And that's a, and I, when you're in the grind, you don't really think about that. You don't really think about what is actually possible for me to do. You think about what can I do right now? What are my facilities right now? What can I what can I achieve on the day to day, which will lead me down the road to where I want to be. But when you are optimizing your life performance, everything that you do has increased in, in prosperity. It's, it's about how you think about your life. Because it, for me, my performance is really bad in my life because I was just burning a candle at both ends because that's all I knew was how to hustle. And when you're, you don't need to hustle anymore, but you're still in the hustle mode, it kind of eats away and erodes at your ability to work on what you're truly meant for. And that's what I do is just help 
people achieve their, their, their higher self and be live in that space. So when I speak to people, I'm speaking to their higher self, what their ideal self, what they visualize as their, their true being is. You know, not necessarily in a spiritual way, but like as your idealistic, a psychological way. Like how do you see yourself if you accomplish all the things that you would have accomplished? What does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. When you delve into that, then people are inspired. Then people are ready to do whatever it takes to accomplish their goal. Because working out is, is a catalyst. It's not, right. it's not gonna get you happiness. Abs is not gonna get you the girl that you're looking for. The, you know what I'm saying? A yeah. bigger butt is not gonna get you the man that you're looking for. Your attitude and the way that you approach these things and the way that you approach your life mm -hmm. is what's gonna get you what you're looking for. So it's about how you perform out here. What controls out here in my environment? My beliefs. You know, so I, I change. Sometimes you got to do a little flexibility with people's belief systems. And that's always a little sticky. And uh, yeah. people, we are attached to our beliefs, whether we, whether we, whether they help us or not. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, you meet an unresourceful friend. You know what I mean? They're just like, nah, man, I can't. Nah, oh, well, you mean, don't know me. I can't do that, man. I don't know if I, I can keep a friend like that. Right. I can't. Right. We, it's hard. Yeah. You like, yo, bro, you mad nice. Like, nah, yo, nah, nah. You, act, you, you believe in them more than they believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, well, I mean, in that case, like, I'm willing to help them out. But if it's really to the point where I'm fighting harder for them than Correct. they are for themselves and it doesn't change, mm -hmm. you know, it depends. Like, I could keep a friend like that, but not if they're just got a dark cloud over them. That's what it's like being a personal trainer. Yeah. So would you consider, I mean, what you're doing is, is definitely helping them with the physical and mental everything in their lives. It's beyond that. It's beyond that. The way I do it is, you know, it's much more subtle. It, it communicates to the subconscious mind because that's what's really driving the bus. Would you consider furthering your education and doing something uh, like, I don't know, psychiatrist, psychologist, or even further than that, any sort of doctorate, master's to continue doing this? I mean, I'm already doing it, but like, I think that to get better at it, I just have to practice this more often. Just like anything else, you mm -hmm. know, I feel like I'm pretty successful at doing it because, you know, you got to really quantify what your success is first. Am I like, you know, changing people's patterns on the fly sometimes, but sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Well, what changed your pattern from being a, a personal trainer with many other jobs, single dad living in a one bedroom with family members? Yeah. To, to where you're at now. To traveling. The world and yeah, like, traveling the world. Actually, you just recently started traveling the world. Well, I'm proud of you. That's thank awesome. You. Uh, it gives people different perspectives. Yeah, it changed uh, mine for sure. Yeah. I, I think what made, to answer your question, I think that what changed my perspective was constantly pushing outward and going within when it came to my perspective of my reality. Be more specific so people understand, because some people may not understand that terminology. Okay, well, when you talk to yourself, what kind of tonality are you using when you are describing your goals and aspirations? Uh, give me an example of some tonalities, positive and negative. When you're in a jam, are you saying, fuck, I got to fucking get this thing done, man. Let's go. Okay, okay, I can't fucking fail. Oh, my God. I can't believe this is happening again. That tonality is helpful in some context. If you're in a basketball game and, you, and that riles you up and to make you perform like Kobe, then... Right, go right ahead. Day, I think I think that has to be the initial, but that's not what's going to get you succeed, succeed, even on the basketball court. Right. If if I'm facing a, a 
an appointment and it's gonna be a hard time, mm-hmm. that might be my initial response. But right. after that, I'm all right, what could I, what, I'm gonna do whatever I can. Right. That's the that's the attitude, right? You're talking right. About? So, I'm talking about like, but universally, it's different. Some people do respond to the Kobe. Like Kobe was like that. Kobe was like, what the fuck? The fuck? Mike was like, what the fuck? Because they're like, you know, they're kind of borderline sociopathic about and obsessive about what they're doing. You have to be that great. You don't have to be. You don't have to be obsessive though, because no, not everybody you have to is. Have traits of that. To, in order to be, uh, maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. That's a belief. That's that's exactly my, my that's belief, a, my belief right, is right. You, you have to have, maybe not, uh, you know, to the point where you can be um, diagnosed mm-hmm. sociopathic. Right. But you have to have slight obsessive traits because other, or obsessive. Maybe that's the wrong word because passion. Mm-hmm. Your passion has to be so strong that you will, are willing to do anything you can to win, right? I, that, I would agree that, that that is the case. However, not everyone is built that way, even about the things that they love. Like, I was n- I'm obsessive about watching fighting, right? I love fighting. Right. And, but I wasn't prepared to relinquish the, the path I had to take for my daughter for me to keep pursuing fighting. Because a lot of fighters have. I know a lot of gifted fighters out there that have kids scattered all over the fucking place and was just like, yo, I love fighting. This is what I do. It's plenty of them. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I couldn't sacrifice that over my kid. So there's this duality, you know, within me that is just like, yo, what is most important to me? And that dialogue can't have the same tonality as that Kobe Bryant. Right. Yo, what the fuck are you doing? Come on. That's not going to be constructive for me personally. Right. And I think... What that means, how I changed that was listening to the dialogue and the tone that I was using for myself to be most, the most productive. Who told you to listen to that tone? Like, how did you realize that's what I have to listen for? Because I, just, I was just listening to myself. I was able to put myself in this, like, what's called a meta position, where you're observing yeah. oneself in uh, a particular context so that you can observe without judgment. Mm-hmm. That's the key to changing things. Right. If you can observe what you're doing without judging yourself, you're more likely to act on that inkling and that mm. feeling but if you're you know you're constantly judging everything that you do that produces anxiety and then you kind of immobilize yourself so when do you when would you say you actually changed your way of thinking and became able to see your thought process from an outside perspective mm-hmm. uh i mean obviously that's what you said change but when, when did this take place it takes it takes place constantly no, like, i'm saying when did that initially take place to make the, the change in your i think when i was about about 17 when I was 17, I, I made a choice that I was gonna take my life in my own hands. At one point, um, uh, my daughter came, I was gone. She was born when I was 17, and then she just vanished. My mom took her somewhere, and a year and a half later, she reappears. So for five months, I'm like, working at this job I hate, but I get to see my daughter, like, I'm good. And then another day, she just vanishes again. And I was heartbroken, and I lost my job, and I was living at my mom's at the time, and she kicked me out because she was just like, yo, I need to have time with my husband. Like, I'm tired of just raising kids all the time. I'm like, all right, but I kind of need help. And the only reason why I'm hanging out here is because I need to, like, look for a job. Like, right. I'm not, I need to use a computer and shit. And she was just like, nah, I'm done. She was unresourceful, and I was in a place myself, so I just left. And one day, I just checked myself into Bellevue. I just couldn't, I was like, I don't have any resources anymore. I just, I'm in a bad place. Nobody gives a fuck about me, at least I thought. So I just checked myself into Bellevue one day. And was it, um, what was the main reason you checked in? Was it suicidal thoughts? I just did, I just, just I don't know, know if I wanted to kill myself or 
I just felt like nothing, I just didn't feel like anything mattered anymore. I was like, what am I going to do? No one gives a fuck. Why should I care? Like, you know, the most unresourceful thought process, thought process yeah. And, yeah. and tonality, the, the darkest hole you could possibly be in because I just didn't have any control over my own life. I get there and I'm waiting. I go through the whole process. They were really nice at first. And then they just sit me in this room next to some guy in a gurney. And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for them to admit me. And an hour goes by, two hours go by, <clears throat> three hours go by, four hours go by, five hours go by, <laughs> and no one comes. No one comes to admit me. So then I leave. I said, I got to figure this out on my own. And that was it. I did, after that, I was like, mm, I'm going to rely on myself. And then I just started studying and practicing different art forms of uh, psychology and therapy and um, just going through like trial and error processes of how, how to talk to myself, how to, I'm really, I was into self-help before, way before it was like super cool. Right, Because I needed it, you yeah. know? Yeah, before Instagram and self-care, like I was doing all that before it was popping because I needed to survive. I was, you know, 17 in the street, 19 years old in the street is like, you know, what are you, what are you gonna do? And it's tough when your friends don't really share your vision for that. All my friends from that time are doing exactly the same shit they were doing during that time. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bams and I got friends like that we grew up with who, uh, you know, do the same thing. Yeah, man. You know, yeah. and it's I still live in the same block too, so I see them. Yeah, and that's painful for me. I gotta, you know, it just hurts. It's like, damn, man, we were supposed to make this shit together, dog. Like, and they were way ta more talented than me. They were way more talented than me. I'm a dope martial artist. I'm a black belt. I'm a champion, all that shit. But these dudes were like my heroes, mm -hmm. you know? And they just became nothing. Like, it's just like, what the fuck, dude? So that fucks with me when I run into them and I see them or I see them from afar, yeah. you know? But that's what changed my mindset was like being, feeling like I was broken, but realizing like, nah, yo, on the other side of that is always a breakthrough. Every time, you just got to hang in there. All right, we're going to start going to some more specific questions right now. Cool. Unless you want to keep on going on this path. Nah, man, this I, feel like, I feel like what you just spoke about is how you've, correct me if I'm wrong, have gotten to your, find yourself to where you are now. It's been constant progress since you took things into your own hands. Yeah. So, and I've seen, I've seen uh, a great amount of progress since we first met. Thank you. Like, I feel like you've come into your own. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just a little bit more of myself, you know? Mm-hmm. The yeah, process continues, right? The process continues, and who knows what what's coming around the corner, you know? Um, well, speaking of which, what are your goals and dreams? My goal is to galvanize the fitness industry. I want to raise the standard for personal training because we do more than that. And we all we already are people's therapists. People rather talk to their, their trainer yeah. than their therapist. Why not give personal trainers the skills to actually deal with that and not have to take that shit home with them. Very true. You feel me? What, what's interesting, I don't mean to cut you off, that's a great point, but fun fact, when I was in college, I played basketball in college, but the only job I could have personal training. was personal training. And I was right. personal training in college. Mm -hmm. 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., two or three times a week. And I remember <clears throat> uh, the morning of 9-11, excuse me, I think it was the next day, the day after, uh, I had a client session. Mm -hmm. and. We didn't work out at all. We just sat down outside and talked the whole time. That's right. And that was a session. But like, there's been many times where I had to take clients, and this is back then. And honestly, I shouldn't have been doing it because I was 
21 year old kid. Yeah. Uh, I was just lending a, a, you know, an ear for them to, to vent. But at the same time, I, and I wasn't trying to give them advice. I was just listening. Right. You know? um, That's right. But just sitting down, hearing them, uh, you know, I had some clients that had body dysmorphia, uh, dysmorphia yeah. issues about, you know, how they looked and getting discouraged about not getting where they wanted to be and so right. on. Um, they're putting in the work, but I didn't, you know, who knows what their, their diet was, whatever it be. Precisely. But, that's that's yeah. it. Yeah. That that little gray area yeah. is exactly where personal training needs to be stepped up. Mm -hmm. You can learn all the programs, get certified. Great. But yeah. if you don't know how to listen yeah. for what people are really needing from you mm -hmm. at that time, you well, could have, you know. I agree, but I think it should be part of the certification. Like, I got to say, getting certified as a personal trainer for me it was a joke. It was a weekend course. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, I mean, it's one. still a joke. It's a joke. Like anyone could do that. Right. Um, I think, I think you're onto something as far as getting them more well-versed beyond their, their knowledge of the anatomy and uh, human, human movement, but also on psychology and how they can help be helpful, you know, for mental well-being. Right. You know? Cause that's where the real change is. Yeah. You got the, the first, you know, I talked about influence in the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. The way that influence works with your, with your client is like this. They hire you, but this is the only profession where they'll hire you and just not listen to a fucking thing that you're saying. Mm -hmm. You ever go to your dentist and they're like, yo, man, you need to do X, Y, and Z. You're like, all right, bet. I'm going to go home and do that so I can keep my teeth. Right. Personal trainer's like, yeah, man, you got to do this, this, and that. They're like, uh, yeah, okay. And then peace out next week. Hey, man, when we had that talk? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I remember, but, you know, that shit tastes good. Or, like, right, right, just their right. coping mechanisms. Yeah. Until you address the real issue, their stress triggers, and the reason why they're reaching in that bag for treats, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is, you'll continue to have the same problem. Mm -hmm. the, the problem with this is you can't address it directly. You can't be like, yo, man, so let's talk about your sex addiction. Right. Oh, yeah, by the way, you got five more. You got, six, you got five more reps. Like, that's not, that's not <laughs> how you can do that. So you got to be a lot more subtle by listening to how their reality is shaped and like how they, my, what I mean by uh, listening to someone's reality is how they describe it. When you talk about yourself, you, you're using one of three languages, a visual language, a kinesthetic language, touching, a feeling, or an auditory language, right? What does that sound like to me? Mm -hmm. That looks like, when you ask me, what does that look like to you? That means you personally are probably a visual, visual person when it comes to, to, to addressing your future. You can see it. Yeah. Right? You can see it. Mm -hmm. I, can, I hear that by how you're communicating to me. Yeah. Having those skills are paramount to being a coach. Because then you're not, you know, you, I'm not speaking Chinese to you when you're trying to speak Persian to me. When you're trying to speak you know, Arabic to me, when you're trying to speak French to yeah. me, when you're trying to, you know what I'm saying? So if I'm listening to you, I can really relate. I can really connect with my client. And that's what it's really about. I think that's, that's the case with a client's not any relationship, Any right? relationship, yeah. So yeah. it's benefited you uh, in your personal relationships too? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. All my relationships are pretty amazing because I can listen. And mm -hmm. I think the, the people that are in my life, like my daughter, my, I, I mended all of my relationships with my parents. Like, I, I love my dad. My dad was never there when I was born, you know, my, my, most of my development. But he's there now. 
and I love that dude. My mom, you know, gave me fucking hell most of my life. And I love my mom. I'm so proud of my parents. Mm-hmm. But it was, this is based on, I've mended every relationship that it has given me issues because of the skill set of listening to their reality and meeting people where they're at as opposed to... Well, it comes down to seeing some outside of your own perspective and seeing their perspective. Right. And seeing why they behave they do, why they took those actions or decided to take those actions, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they all have their own reasons. That's right. You might not be able to see it because you're not in their shoes, but if you can take yourself out of yours, that's when you get... Exactly. Yeah. It's not always about us. Most times it's not. It's not about us. I mean... Even though we make it personal. Seeing, seeing, seeing. A lot of visual yeah. language in there, in case you guys are... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Yeah, yeah. Very visual, very visual. In multiple contexts. Yeah. That's another thing. It's not like horoscopes. We're like, oh, I'm a Virgo, so I'm a perfectionist. It's not, it's not, it's not how that shit works. It's, it's bullshit. Like, the way your language works depends yeah. on context. Right. Right? If I'm talking about goals, aspirations, things that are not necessarily real yet, yeah. you particularly like visualizing it first. That makes it real. You visualize yeah. outside. I can see the steps. You can see the, right. Yeah. Okay. More visual language. See? Yeah. Now, if I change the context to like, uh, what kind of woman are you interested in? How would you describe that? Oh, well, she probably makes me well, feel. Yeah, I, I would say definitely more feeling related. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have, I know what I would like her to look like, of course, but what's more important is how I would feel. Right. Yeah. That criteria so, yeah. changes, right? Yeah. Depending on the context. And that's what we got to listen for, too. That's why it's so important to listen to people. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, oh, oh, Jeremy's visual, and I explain something else to you visually, and you're like, oh, I don't get it, because it's not the context that needs right. the needs. Just gonna hit this thing. Just <laughs> gonna keep hitting this thing. Um, um, but yeah, next question, sir. Uh, the next question I think you pretty much answered throughout the whole conversation so far is what motivates you to keep pursuing your dreams. What, what, what motivates me before? This is very interesting. My last podcast episode, I talked about my daughter because she was my prime motivation for everything. Mm-hmm. And now I have to search within to find something else because I don't know if I have the motivation that same fire as I did to continue my, my dreams and my goals when I first started. When I first started, I was like, oh, my daughter needs to get to college. And now I'm like, oh, she's in college. <laughs> it's, right, like, right. it's like, okay, like what now what? That's interesting. So, I mean, you seem to have the same passion, but you have to find yeah. the, the, the... I got to find motivation. that, like, yo, if I didn't have that, like, gun to my head... Man- when you met me, I had that gun to my head right. mentality. Like, yo... So I- are you nervous that you don't have that gun to your head right now? Like, do you, I'm not you nervous, like- but I'm like... Should I be relaxed about it or do I need better techniques? Do I need to surround myself with people who better suit what I'm looking for in my life? Like, what do I need to do to enhance my life performance? Mm-hmm. What do I desire out of life? But, I'm, but then I thought about it. I'm like, yo, I'm fucking already doing it. Right. I'm traveling. I'm going to Africa next week again. Yeah. And I just came back from Vegas with some really cool friends and, and, and clients of mine and, and, and had, a, it had a time that you couldn't pay for. You couldn't buy the experience that I had. Like, I, I got to go to Vegas with you because I hate Vegas. I hate Vegas too, but when you go with the right motherfucking people, <laughs> that, shit is, that shit is legit. Let's I'm start. hanging out with Jake Paul. Yeah. He was actually pretty relaxed. Yeah. You know? Like, it was like, all right, like super cash. Like, yeah. you know? And then, I'm going to regret saying super cash in like yeah, 10 years. Yeah. When I listen to when I listen yeah, to this podcast... <laughs> Use that clip on the highlight, please. Oh, my God. Super, super cash. Super cash, you guys. <laughs> oh, my God. It's super. No, it's, it's fine. It's super cash. Um, uh, yeah, so that's what. I don't know. I don't know. My, motiv- my motivation is to change the fitness industry because I want to see my industry thrive. I want to see personal trainers get fucking paid, for, finally. And I want personal trainers to be happy. 
It's you, very. You think about starting a union of sorts for personal trainers. That's that's the that is the goal. I don't, I didn't want to. So you don't have right. to work 12 hours a day, but it's an independent trainers union. So mm. everybody at Equinox, see, that's another thing. Like when you, pardon me, when you are talking about independent trainers, they work for themselves. Yeah. And if you unify those people, those are the people that really run this industry. People that work for Equinox, they're stealing from that company, but they're getting clients on the side. Right. They're, there's a certain mentality that, that someone that stays at with Equinox, that stays with New York Sports Club or whatever, th those type of people, they enjoy being a part of that machine because it gives them that gratification of climbing that corporate ladder, right? right? I'm not talking about them people. I'm talking to the people that want to make 100K a year their first year and still be happy and have time to go do shit they want to do and, and go sunbathe on, on the roof deck in the middle of the week if they feel like it because their pockets are good. I want to talk to people that are paying their taxes on time, which is another thing, you know, some people just don't do that shit yeah. or stack their money up and invest. I want to create a whole uh, organization that helps trainers, new, old, in the middle, to do all those things and live a fulfilling life and formulate an end game strategy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like, Brian Winston, he just said, I'm out and retired like yeah. Jordan. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah. like, I'm out. You know, you want some clients? You know, Garnett's nice or Max or whatever. Like, he just gave his clients out and said, I'm not doing that anymore. That's not an end game strategy. Right. An end game strategy is, hey, listen, is a smooth transition. Agreed. You feel me? Because you just translated from nightlife into uh, outsiders. outsiders. But I've been doing outsiders for five years. You've been doing outsiders for five years now. Yeah. And then COVID hit, you were like, oh. Yeah. Peace. Yeah, but people are like, that's amazing. You were able to find something. Fine. I was fine. I've been doing this for five years. <laughs> right. Oh, five years. I didn't know that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But then, like, eventually, this is, all, this is what you're going to be known for is, you know, because at a certain point, you'll be doing this for the amount of time that you've been doing uh, nightlife. Yeah. Not, yeah. And, exactly. and you're almost there. You're like, you're halfway there to that timeline. And Three, uh, a third there. A third yeah. there. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing nightlife like 15 years. But, like, it's, you're not you know, Jeremy, the nightlife dude anymore. It's, it's apparent. It's no, it's just, funny because you know. I'll talk to some people from the outsiders now. They don't know me from back then. Right. And uh, I was talking to this one girl. She's like, oh, you used to do nightlife for her. Yeah. I was like, and, and, um, and she looks at me like I, I have two heads. Right. Like you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like, You time, don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know, dog. We never saw uh, Jeremy in the daylight. <laughs> uh, yes, you did. I did. I did, because we hung out. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, but people, hung. people, some people didn't know I had salt and pepper hair. Like, right. Right. Damn, the club. I didn't know you had gray hair. I'm like, better, better recognize the this. lights are flashing. There's a disco ball. That's why. Exactly. And uh, you were fucked up, probably. This, they this, were, yeah. They were probably fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can't miss the silver fox. No. Come on, God baby. Forbid. God forbid, baby. Come on now. So you've been part of the outsiders. You've been a couple outsiders. I've been to the first ones. Yeah. Ever. What, yeah. What's your favorite part of the outsiders? I like uh, I like how cool everybody is. I like how diverse it is. Mm -hmm. I like the energy of the people that are there usually. And usually I know everybody there because they, they've been partying with you for a long time. Originally it was. Now it's kind of been uh, it's definitely beyond just the people that came oh, out. Oh, that's beautiful. Life. Yeah. Congratulations, man. I'm really proud of you. I also Thank like you. that you're connected to it. I feel like the, the success of the night the, of the outsiders is because everyone really, really fucks with your energy. That's something that's so hard to do. I feel like I could never start a community 
at that capacity. That's the final level for me. Is the, I have to be honest, what, what, what I'm most proud of is up? that I, can, I get to the Outsiders event in the morning of, mm-hmm. adventure, we call them adventures, and um, sometimes people have no idea who I am, <laughs> which is great. Oh, wow. It's because awesome. I created a brand. It's right. not coming for me. Right. Uh, Bams, how are we doing on time? Gotcha. All okay. right, so we'll start wrapping up a little bit. But cool. I have a couple questions I want to ask you before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your most embarrassing moment? My most embarrassing I know moment. We've had a few because we've hung out for a long time. I mean, you've probably been there for <laughs> quite a few of them, yeah. Um, what, what would you say? What was an embarrassing moment that you witnessed for me? I don't know. I mean, I can't remember what I did last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> an embarrassing moment. It depends on the context. I've I've been knocked out in a fight. That's not embarrassing. That's that's. I mean, I guess that I is mean, embarrassing. Yes, but it's not if you're looking at it's part of the sport. It's part of the sport, but, like, it was over some stupid, like, listening to dumb advice. But it's my fault. It's my fault. I should have. It's me in the, in the ring. Mm-hmm. But uh, what is the embarrassing? Embarrassing. You don't have any? Um, I mean, I just don't get. You know what? You don't get embarrassed. Not getting embarrassed is a superpower. Ask Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> He yeah, got he's embarrassing. He's embarrassing <laughs> to be around. Yeah. But I, I got to give you something. Oh, fuck. Let me... Uh... Well, I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah, okay. You... All right. I'll think about uh, it. Well, is there anything I, ha- I haven't asked you that you want to tell the audience about, about yourself? I'm sorry? Say that one, one more time. Is there anything you'd like to tell the audience that I haven't asked you about yet? Um, hmm. Um, ladies. No, I'm just kidding. Um... <laughs> Um, I think, um, I think, uh, my, I think what I look like doesn't represent necessarily how I feel. I don't think that that's a thing that people really pick up on. In, in the sense where, what, intimidation or? Well, that's funny that you mentioned intimidation first. Yeah, I would assume, I would assume that because you're, you're MMA fighter, right? No, that's not why people are intimidated by me. I think people are intimidated by me because I dress in black a lot. Um, I've heard various co- uh, bracelets and so on. Uh, I did. I did. I haven't done that in a, in a long time. Um, I just think that people, you know, they just look at you and they see a it's a mirror of their internal representation of what you represent. We're not looking at Jeremy. We're looking at everything that has ever looked at Jeremy, looked like Jeremy at the same time in the back of our mind. So we're mm. just trying to piece together this, these association yeah. pieces, right? And that's what it is. I, I'm, I just don't look like how, you, how I am me. Come get to know me and talk okay. to me. That's, fair, that's a fair request. Yeah. Um, so we end every interview with five rapid fire questions. Cool. I'm ready. You know how that works? You ready? I'm ready. All right. Favorite city other than New York City? Uh, Toronto. Yeah. I'll be back, it. baby. I'll be back over there. So they I'm open that border I'm up. I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you. Let's, you know what time it is. Go to, you, so know what, go. you know what time uh, it is when they come to Toronto. Uh, baby. It's not really a, you know, a rapid fire question. You know what happens. I'm sorry. One more time. One more time. One more time. I say it's not really a rapid fire type of question. It's more a conversation question, but I want to ask you with a yes or no response. Okay. Gotcha. Would you have another child if you met the right woman? Absolutely. I want four more. I'm going to name them after me and my brothers. Okay. Yes. Um, Hip hop or metal? Oh, come on. Yeah. Ah, uh, hip hop. Okay. Even though my desert, my desert island album is Tool Lateralis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I mean, that's not com- that's common knowledge. I think. Okay. Yeah. Tool. 
Yeah, it's my favorite band yeah. ever. Some of the best videos ever. Too. I mean, yeah. I mean, but, dude. Uh, you, no one likes Tool so casually. They're just like, yeah. bro, have you. <laughs> what? It's this. Yeah, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, no yeah. one's casually like a Tool. Anyway. Uh, if you could fight anyone past or present, who would it be? Uh, Donald Trump, uh, Co Kobe, Covington. I'd like to fight. He's fighting Kamar Usman next. I can't wait for that one. I'd like to fight any fascist, any... Uh... Oh, what's your, your, your workout club? Your fight club? <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the Antifa fight club? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have an anti-Nazi fight club, so fuck all you Nazis, uh, homophobic, transphobic, uh, racist, misogynistic motherfuckers out there. I will body you. Please come <laughs> see me if you ever have some on the internet. I don't give a fuck who you are. Come see me. Anyway. That's on the real right there. That's for real. Uh, last question. What's your favorite food? Well, I actually have it here now. What did you get? What did you get? Husla. Hungry. What is it? Husla. It's a, it's a, what it is. And where is it from? It's from Forget Me Not, my, my like headquarters. Uh, All right. It's like my home away from home. There's a little syrup here because it's basically French toast bites with a little bit of fruit. So maybe you can oh. see it. it's kind of slid around a little bit, but maybe you can see it still smells really good. Um, so yes, yeah, like little strawberries, little blueberries, and some syrup. Very nice. You know, so we got that out I here. I want to taste some of this. Yeah, man. Should I? Uh... After a bike ride, there's a bike shop right next to Forget yeah. That. So like you can like y'all can like post up after an outsiders event and literally just pop in there and, and have like, French toast and have beer and like yeah beer and French toast. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, man. Yeah, we all got you. A little fork action. Yeah, give me a little fork action and a little. I like syrup. to dip. I like to get. Yeah, well, if it's bites, you gotta dip the bites. Yeah, I mean, you gotta dip. Some people are savages, man. They just kind of like go crazy. No, no if it's man. bites, you dip the bites. This is a sensible man. Yeah. This is a sensible man. But well, we're gonna eat this now? Oh, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna oh okay. Go ahead, baby. All right, okay. here we go. <laughs> you brought this, I'm eating it. Right. Yeah, man. Get some I'm of the strawberries. Yes. All right. Some of the strawberries in there, too, I got baby. You got a strawberry in there? I'm sorry. I don't mean to dictate your eating. Mm. Right? It's so good. All right. I wish I could eat this now, but I'm going to die. I got to go to Africa and have abs and, you know, post on social media that I'm living the best life. Don't I've worry. <laughs> Look at me I'll in Africa. I'm so hungry. I'll eat them. All right. For pennies a day, you can support Garnett's habits. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, there's some French toast I got to eat, but I yeah. want to thank you for uh, being part of this interview. I got to do uh, your podcast eventually when you I get do. the invite. You do. Let me know. The Independent Trainers Podcast Let's on Spotify, Google Play, and uh, on YouTube. This yeah. full video and everything, you'll, you guys will love it. It's I think more this, this union idea for freelance personal trainers is great. Let me know how it can help you. Thank you. I, I, would, I would love that. I'm researching unions now. Uh, it's going to fuck the whole <laughs> fitness industry up a little bit because yeah. it's going to get the power back to the people that actually run it, the trainers. And I can't wait to... to execute this so well maybe we'll have to have you back on the show when that's uh, taking place we'll talk about it yes absolutely all right well i'm hungry and it's time to go so thank you very much g bye jeremy bye <laughs> <laughs>